Well, welcome in, everybody, and I am so excited for this episode of this show. Um, we got to discuss something. There's a serious problem. I don't know if you've noticed, but great people, great men, especially in the church, tend to fall into sexual sin and disgrace, not only themselves, but the name of Christ. We have got to discuss this because it is a serious, growing problem in the world today. Plus, we're going to discuss something in the life of David that speaks to our spiritual battle within. We all struggle with sin, any number of sins, and today we're going to give you hope. Today we're going to give you lessons from the life of David on how we are going to win the battle within. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Yes, sir. Uh, so Tuesday night, 7 p.m., the deep end. And can you believe that this is season four, episode 15 already? Season four, episode 15. I am shocked <laughs> because it's just a pleasure to bring this content to you. I enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, let me know in the comments below that you are here. But you know what? We're going to do something different today. Let me know in the comments below. Um, what Bible do you use when you study? And please don't say smartphone Bible. Gosh, I hope it's not a smartphone Bible. Um, I hope it's a study Bible. Uh, you know, we've been doing a push at our church for people to buy their own study Bibles. There's nothing better than having a physical paper Bible in your hand. Now, of course, I'm the biggest hypocrite here in the deep end studio because I don't have a paper Bible. I've got all kinds of computer Bibles and iPhone and iPad Bibles, but I do have a study Bible in my office and in, in, in other places in my house. Let me know what your preferred study Bible is in the comments below. Is it the NIV Life Application Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, the old Thompson Chain Reference Bible? What's your Bible? Do you have a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, this is a good discussion to have right now. Go get one. At our church, Waters Church, we are selling Bibles at cost, at our cost, to you so that you can save money and get yourself a handy and helpful study Bible. And go through the scriptures with us instead of just relying on the big screen to have the scriptures uh, for you. Why do we do this? Because man shall not live on bread alone, right? but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Anyway, get yourself a study Bible. You will not regret it. Um, and then do me another favor that you won't regret, which is subscribe to us at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Uh, we've got um, a lot of watchers and listeners from the radio in Woonsocket, uh, Rhode Island, Tampa Bay, Florida. Uh, we've got Twitch watchers. We've got Spotify listeners. We've got podcast listeners. But if you would do me a favor and subscribe to the deep end uh, TV YouTube channel. Make sure that you like the video. Make sure that you subscribe. Like I just said, give the beard some love. And also the little notification bell. Ring, ring, ring. <laughs> Click that button because that's going to let you know whenever we are live and you will never miss an episode and you will never miss a moment of this show. Also, we got some new Deep End swag coming in uh, available at the deepend.tv. Um, we want you to check that website out. Uh, that's coming soon. New tumblers, new t-shirts, all kinds of stuff like that. Anyway, enough sales pitchiness, right? Enough of that. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. One, one more thing, right? We, we, I've got a book coming out. So make sure that you're picking this up because it's just a couple of weeks away uh, before this book is available to you on Amazon.com or TimHatchLive.com slash books. Uh, it's called Move. It's about, you know, following the life of Joshua and Caleb and how these two out of 600,000 Jews make it into the promised land and are blessed. What were their attitudes? What were the B attitudes that they exhibited that we need to have in our lives? 
the B, I call it the B attitudes of moving or of progress. And that's enough sales pitching, right? We got to talk about a common phenomenon in the church. Great men. And I say great in quotations because we don't really know. The final judge is God, right? But great men in our eyes keep falling into the same sexual sin and deviancy, and they fall hard and they fall big. And it is a problem we've got to discuss. Let's get into Deep End News. Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Yes, yeah, so there's a serious problem about uh, sexual sin in the church, sexual sin amongst the leaders and the great names and notable names of the church. But um, I, I hate to retract where I'm going, but I do have to let you know some bad news first about the deep end. Uh, bad news is that we had to take a break. Uh, I've got some personal things that I got to take care of. My house, we're moving. Um, I got some things going on with our church in Florida. We got to move into that building. Lots of things on the plate, guys. Lots of things. Your prayers are appreciated. I'm doing okay spiritually. I'm doing fine spiritually. Actually, I'm not doing fine. I'm doing great spiritually. God is good. Things are good. Nothing wrong. Just need to make some time for two big moves. My family needs to get into their new into our house, and the church needs to get into its new building. So these things are happening, um, and it's heavy, and so we're going to take a break. Sorry, I will be back March 16th. I'm so sorry. I hate to take breaks from the deep end, but March 16th, we will be back. Please hang on, because the content will be coming back, and I'll miss you. I'll miss you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that notification bell. That'll let you know when we are back. Okay, now to the news. The report has been released. Ravi Zacharias, who recently passed away in May, and I actually gave tribute to him on the deep end last May when he passed away. Ravi Zacharias, the famed and renowned international speaker and apologist of the Christian faith, has been exposed for um, some severe sexual sin. And I want to make sure that we understand that that word severe is intentional because we all struggle with some form of sin. Uh, I don't think that there is there are many people who don't struggle with some form of lust uh, or, you know, um, pleasure, desire. And that includes women. We always say it's the men, but it's a, it's a female problem as well. Um, some struggle with greed. Some struggle with uh, materialism, uh, jealousy, bitterness, hatred, racism. There's, there's untold numbers of sinful problems in the world, but there is one overarching sin problem in great men of leadership. And Ravi Zacharias now post-mortem, has been exposed for uh, quite the sexual predator that he was. Evidently, eight therapists of spas that Mr. Zacharias owned have come forward uh, to talk about the fact that he used to you know, sexually uh, approach them, sexually uh, abuse them. Uh, five uh, have said that he touched or rubbed them inappropriately. One has claimed that he raped them. Uh, there's a pattern of intimate texts and email-based relationships with multiple women. Uh, he had a, a phone that was uh, kind of off the books that he collected selfies from women, naked selfies from women, I mean, uh, much, much younger women, uh, and, and, and countless um, details, countless uh, numbers of these things going on in his life. Look, everyone suffers and struggles with some sinful proclivities, but this is beyond the pale. And there was a lot of manipulation. Uh, he would tell women that if they exposed him, they would be responsible for millions of souls that he reached with the gospel. 
Uh, he would point to the life of David. He would point to the life of uh, Moses and Abraham, who had multiple wives, and he would say, this is justified biblically. Look, this is this is insane to hear this. For me, I was a big fan. I was a big admirer of Ravi Zacharias, and I thank God for the ministry that God gave him. But this is a problem that is common with great, quote-unquote, men in the church. Recently, Hillsong Church had the revelations of their pastor uh, in New York City, Carl Lentz, who was involved in multiple affairs and has been exposed and had to resign and now lives in another area and is rehabbing with his wife and his family, trying to rehab his marriage. Thank God we pray for him. Uh, but multiple affairs and multiple uh, situations of, of, of deviant behavior have been, have, have been exposed with regards to Carl Lentz. And then this on top of another uh, news item that just came out last week, a married Hillsong church administrator sexually assaulted Philadelphia's past, a Philadelphia pastor's daughter. This is in the christianpost.com. And um, Hillsong is getting hit right now. And I, I'm a big fan of, Hill, fan of Hillsong music. I, I also thank God for Brian Houston. He's a man that I've admired uh, he's Pentecostal, I'm Pentecostal, I was raised Pentecostal, I've admired Hillsong worship, and let's not discount, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. These are valuable men and valuable ministries uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ, but there is a problem in the world today, and there's countless other names of men uh, in recent history uh, that have fallen from their position because of sexual deviancy. I think of Bill Gothard, who ran in, uh, the Institute for Christian... Um, religion or Christian practices. I forget what the name of his ministry was, but he was uh, accused of um, sexually harassing women under his ministry. Jimmy Swaggart in the 1980s, James Baker in the 1980s, Tully and Vidyan this last couple of years. Uh, great men who fall into this sexual temptation and then disgrace. And it is a problem. It is a problem for the church, and it gives the church a horrible name. Now, I want to do one thing, and that is we don't want to sit here and point fingers and say, bad men, bad men. But no, we should mourn for the spiritual condition of these men and for the spiritual condition of the church at large, the evangelical church. is reputation is getting marred and dragged through the mud again and again and again, and unbelievers are watching this, and they're probably saying, this is why I don't want anything to do with the church, right? I mean, this is really what it is. It's just constant problems and the same, the same deviancy that we see in the world, we see oftentimes in the leaders of the church. And this must not be. We've got to be people who are better than this. Amen? So we've got to have a discussion. And this is the discussion that I want to have. Sex in the church. Sex in the church. What's going on with us? What, what, what is happening? Now, I'm going to actually take a peculiar tract on this. A peculiar tract on this discussion. And it's based on um, an author that I recently became familiar with. And by recently, I mean last night. <laughs> uh, she tweets, her name is uh, Sheila Gregory. I'm going to put her Twitter handle up here. Sheila Gregory. And um, she's an author. She's a blogger. Her Twitter bio says, uh, Christian marriage and sex blogger and author, host of Bear Marriage Podcast, changing the convo of Christian Sorry, changing the Christian convo about sex, the great sex rescue book coming out March 2021 out of Bellevue, Ontario. She, she blogs at to love 
honorandvacuum.com. <laughs> I love that website, by the way, to lovehonorandvacuum.com, talking about Christian marriage and Christian sex. Um, so she went on a tweet storm about Ravi Zacharias and Carl Lentz and all these big names who have fallen to sexual sin. And she says, and I want to read the thread because the thread was pretty compelling. And then I'm going to make a point about it. And here's what she says. So let me read it and give you some highlights in her tweet thread about the problem with sexual deviancy uh, amidst uh, large Christian ministers. So she says, quote, We are all bemoaning the celebrity Christian culture that led to Ravi Zacharias and Carl Lenz and so many others and their sex and sexual abuse scandals. But what if the problem is not just or even mostly celebrity culture? What if it is the evangelical view of sex, the evangelical view of sex? And she's going to make a point here about the evangelical view of sex that I, I wasn't even aware of. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But here we go. She says, yes, celebrity culture gave these men and so many others more access to victims, and it gave them cover for what they were doing. But it was not celebrity culture that taught these men to objectify women. Our, our evangelical culture did that all on its own. And then she goes on to quote countless Christian books on marriage, Christian marriage books on what they talk about concerning the male sex drive. So she says this, quote, Take Every Man's Battle. This is a book on sexual purity for men. Take Every Man's Battle series of books, Every Heart Restored, which is one of the series, one of the books in the series. She says, it says, quote, because of male hardwiring, men don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. Every man's battle says, quote, we find another reason for the prevalence of sexual sin among men. We got there naturally simply by being male, end quote. So she says, got that? Men naturally sin sexually. And this is what we are told through these Christian books on purity and sexuality amongst men. She goes on, God-given male sexuality and objectification of women are seen as one and the same. Our evangelical books tell men, God made you to objectify women and see sex as only physical. Your sexual sin nature is innately given. You can't help it. She's kind of right. And she goes on with countless examples about this. She says this, she uh, uh, talks about Tim LaHaye wrote a book called The Act of Marriage, and he said, quote, women must cultivate the problem of visual lust, whereas men almost universally must cope with the problem just because they are men. And then she says, so if men can't help it, what's the solution? Women. It's women who, keep, who must keep men from sinning. Every man's battle says of less, quote, once he tells you he's going cold turkey, I guess this is concerning porn. Once he tells you he's going cold turkey concerning porn, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him, end quote. This is every man's battle. In other words, women, your job is to make sure that you sexually satisfy your husband because he can't help it, the fact that he wants to look at porn. And if, he, and if you don't help him, he's going to do it. This is the point that she's making. In the book Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman, she says, uh, he tells women to give their husbands oral sex or hand jobs during their periods or postpartum phase because they are difficult times for him. These are her words, not mine. <laughs> but this is what Kevin Lehman writes in Sheet Music. And uh, she says, a husband can't be expected to withstand temptation by himself while, he, while she's cramping, bleeding, or recovering from birthing his child. Lehman also says, quote, either you will have a love affair with your husband or somebody else will, end quote. She says, Emerson, Emerson Egerix in Love and Respect says, quote, the cold hard truth is that men are often lured into affairs because they are sexually deprived at home, end quote. And then she goes on, if women, and if women get upset by this, what's the answer? We need to realize that men have needs we will never understand. Love and respect says, quote, if your husband is typical, he has need, he has the need, he has a need you don't have, end quote. In the book Power of a Praying Wife, after explaining how women need affection, says this, quote, but for a husband, sex is a sex is pure need. His eyes, ears, brain, and emotions get clouded if he doesn't have that release, end quote. 
She goes on, for women only tells women to accept the struggle he has with love, uh, with lust. Love and respect says if your husband feels you do not respect his struggle and his maleness, he'll pull back. We need to accept man, men's lustful nature or we will disrespect them and they will have affairs. The argument that she's making is countless evangelical books on sex tell women that men can't help it and it's your job to fix it. And this is the gist of her tweet thread. And, and it goes on and on and, on and you can go and find it yourself. But she's kind of right. Actually, no, she's very right. And we need to discuss this because I, I don't read these books I'm going to give you a little heads up about me. I don't like Christian books on marriage and sex. There's only one author that I recommend. His name is Mark Gunger. Check him out. He is a fantastic marriage, uh, Christian marriage uh, seminar speaker and a good friend, by the way. I don't read these books because they do often do this kind of gameplay with regards to the sex drive in men, and they kind of put it on women to fix men's problems. Men, Christian men, listen to me. It is not the job of Christian women to win your battle with sexual sin. It is not even your job. It is the Holy Spirit's job. We, 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 we've got to, and, and I, I, I really feel bad for the women who are given this, this nonsense, this dribble about, you've got to fix this in your husband. Now, I will say what the scripture says, which is don't deny your husbands. First Corinthians chapter seven says, neither of you should deny each other sexually because you will be tempted, but we may be taking that. No, we not. Maybe we do take that way too far when we expect women to be a functional methadone vial for their husband's sex drive. This is, this is unhealthy. It's not right. And, and you say, well, why are you bringing this up on the, on the podcast? Because, because we have to address the nature of our struggle. We have to stop doing what Adam did from the beginning. Remember that it was Eve that took the fruit at the instigation of the serpent. God shows up, searches out the man and a woman who are hiding, and he doesn't address Eve, he addresses Adam. Why? Because he had headship over the spiritual authority, the spiritual life of the garden. He was given the law. He was given the rule not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he abdicated his role to silence the snake, to guide and lead his wife and sat there while she had a conversation with the snake and then ate the fruit after she ate it. And God holds Adam responsible. But Adam sits there and points at Eve and says, it was the woman. It was the woman you gave me. I mean, this guy. And ever since then, ever since then, man has been blaming other people or things for their sinful proclivities. And it even seeps into the evangelical subculture when we have countless evangelical Christian books on sex telling women that they have to take ownership of their husband's struggle with sex. We have got to stop the nonsense because it is nonsense. Your battle with sin is not someone else's fault. And, and you know me, guys, I really get sick of the perpetual victim culture that abounds in 2021 in our country, and it seeps right into the church. Everybody in the church is a victim. Oh, they hurt me. Oh, this happened to me. Oh, I wasn't raised right. Oh, I married the wrong person. Oh, I uh, was abused as a child. And look, no one is discounting the horrible things that have happened to you, but at some point, you've got to stop blaming 
You've got to stop identifying all of your failures as the fruit of someone else's failure in your life or against your life. (laughs) Why? Because we will forever be fighting the wrong enemy. Your enemy is not what happened to you in the past. Your enemy is sin inside of you, which is why Paul the Apostle says, wretched man that I am. He doesn't say, well, my father, well, my mother, well, I was raised wrong. Well, if I was if I went, no, he just says, I got problems, me, this sin nature inside of me. Let's identify the problem so that we can get to the solution and start winning in the power that Christ has provided for us, the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus. Amen? Anyway, Sheila Gregory, she brings up a great point. I encourage you to follow her uh, follow her, and uh, check out the book. I don't usually recommend. I haven't even read the book, so take it for what it's worth. But I, I bring this up because it has everything to do with what we're talking about today on the deep end in our struggle with sin, in our struggle with sin. So that's, that's the news. Uh, make sure, again, if you are just tuning in, like and subscribe to us at youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Like and subscribe at youtube.com slash the deep end TV. And if you're just joining us as well, make sure that you tell me, let me know what your favorite study Bible is. What's your, what's your weapon of choice? And speaking of the Bible, let's get to it as we go verse by verse through the life of David. Okay, so today on the deep end, we are talking about this. The Battle Within, Season 4, Episode 15, The Life of David, The Battle Within. We are in a battle. We are in a battle, amen? Let's talk about where we are in the life of David and in the historical narrative of his life. Saul has fallen. Saul is dead. And we talked last week about what that meant. And also we talked about the fact that David mourns Saul's death. And he actually holds accountable the guy who speared Saul through. David is not vengeful. He's not hateful. He's, he's sad for the death of Saul. He's sad for the spiritual condition of Saul's life. And we see David representing a picture of Christ for us. Christ does not vengefully attack us in our broken sinfulness. He mourns for us. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful to hear that, that Christ doesn't hate you because you're sinful? He mourns for you. And we talked about that last week. Check out that episode if you haven't already. So Saul's dead, and David, the anointed king, right? The door should be wide open. He's going to be king. All is well. Do, 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 you know, right? All hail King David. Well, it's not that easy. And we have a picture here of King David who represents for us coming to Jesus. Saul dead, uh, David alive. Jesus. When, when we become saved, remember in baptism, we go into the water to represent that we have died to ourselves, we come out of the water to say Christ is risen in us. And so we have a picture here in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 2, which is where we are today. We have a picture here of the new beginning in the Christian's life when we come to Christ. And when we come to Christ, the battle is just beginning. Yes? The battle is just beginning. If you are under the impression that coming to Christ means this, the solution to all of your struggles inside of you, wrong. There's going to be a battle until the day you die, and you're going to struggle. Paul the Apostle talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I find a law in my body, 
and it makes me a prisoner. It makes me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, and it makes me do things that I don't want to do, and makes me not do the things that I do want to do. And then he gets to the end of that chapter, as I've already quoted this verse, Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, the answer to our sinful battle is not that our wives satisfy us sexually more or our children obey us more or our boss respects us more or our family gives us more appreciation. No, the solution to our struggle with sin is Jesus Christ, period, full stop. Because Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, provides for us the Holy Spirit who comes into our bodies to do war with that old nature. So while Saul is dead, we're going to see in the early years of David's reign, quote-unquote reign, because it's going to be progressive and um, eventual, we're going to see that the kingdom of Saul which represents our old sinful nature, does not die easily. In fact, that's what I want to put up here on the screen for you guys. The God of self, which is what Saul represents, the God of self does not surrender easily. He just doesn't. He is going to fight us until we die or Jesus comes. So with that in mind, let's get into it. As Saul is dead, David reigns, here's what happens. Uh, Verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 2. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Now, remember, David is at Ziklag. That's in Philistine territory. And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? In other words, where do you want me to go, Lord? And the Lord said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Now, I love how the Lord sends David to Hebron here. And there's reasons, there's reason for this. Hebron was the highest elevation in the land of southern Israel, in the land of Judah. It was also the most strategic uh, plot of land, city, militarily for the land. It is obvious that the Lord is leading David to do battle for the soul of the nation. Again, if this is a picture of Jesus Christ for us, here's the good news. Jesus Christ, when he comes into our lives, when he is Lord, he takes position, he takes strategic position in our hearts to do battle for the soul of our lives. Amen. This is good for us. And I love studying the Bible this way when you look at everything as pointing to Jesus because it helps you understand the the battle that you have as a Christian. That though Jesus is Lord, he is not yet in absolute control over every part of your life. But the Lord will strategically place himself in a position where he has the highest authority over the rest of your life and will progressively change your life by his grace. That's good news. Amen? Verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried, buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I would do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he reaches out to these loyal followers of Saul. Remember last week we talked about these men from Jabesh Gilead. They went and uh, valiantly retrieved the body of Saul, which had been nailed to the wall in um, in Philistine territory. They went and received, uh, valiantly rescued the bodies 
of Saul and his sons and then buried the bones in Israel in Israelite land. Anyway, David thanks them for the service. And again, we're just meant to see the heart of David. He is not vengeful. He is not hateful. And just like for you, Jesus Christ is not vengeful. He's not hateful. I wonder here uh, who's listening to this right now. And you just feel like that your sinful condition just makes Jesus just be like, I'm done with this guy. I'm so sick of this girl. I'm so tired of them. That's not who Jesus is. That's not how he acts. And we have a picture of it here in the life of David, of, of a savior who mourns our condition and whose heart goes out to us and has come to save us. We, but we must surrender to him in, in, uh, and, and, and his grace will sustain us and strengthen us and lead us through. Amen. Okay, so let's go on. Verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, and by the way, the um, cousin of Saul. Okay, so Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth. Don't you love the names of some of these guys? Took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim and made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and, and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin, all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. So you see this, this little schism right here between the Judahites who follow David and the Benjaminites and a lot of the other tribes of Israel following the, the, the kingdom of Saul. And Abner, who's this you know, military general under King Saul, you know, he rejects the authority of David. He rejects the kingship of David. And so there's going to be a schism. There's going to be a battle. It's setting up now. The lines are being drawn. And so Abner takes Ishbosheth, the son of uh, Saul, and tries to establish him as king. Now, Ishbosheth's name is interesting. Do you know what it means? It means man of shame. Man of shame. Now think about this. If Saul represents the sinful nature, if the kingdom of Saul represents our sinful nature, our self-centered nature, the best, when, when, we, when we become Christians, the best the sinful nature can do is, is make men of shame king. Like, it's an, it's an illustration for us as Christians. When you let the sinful nature rule, it brings shame. It just, it's shameful. A Christian that is not eagerly seeking the lordship of Jesus Christ over the life is just waiting for shame to happen. AKA Ravi Zacharias, AKA Carl Lentz, AKA uh, the countless others that I listed before. You've got to fight the battle and seek the Lord. And again, I, I don't, I don't point my finger at these guys and say, ah, 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 because I am a man of similar passions as every other one of us is, and we are all in this battle, and we have got to fight with the weapons of warfare that Christ has provided, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But it starts with us taking responsibility for that. It starts with us realizing that it's not somebody else's fault. It's not somebody else that we can point to and blame. It is us. The problem's right here, right? We talked about that last week. We're continuing this week. Now, Ishbosheth is king over the Solene territory, and David is king in Judah. And I want you to see something. I want to put a map up on the screen because this is kind of interesting to me. Here's a map of Israel at this time, and you can see very clearly that the rule of David here, which is uh, highlighted in yellow, okay, that's the rule of David. 
is not that large. Southern is in the southern area it includes the Negev. Uh, Jerusalem would be right around here, and here's Hebron. Um, and then the rule of Ishbosheth, who is the son of Saul, right here uh, on the screen. If you're watching at YouTube.com/slash/DeepNTV, you could see this. <laughs> Make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, is a far larger tract of land in Mahanaim, right here, is where Ishbosheth is reigning. I put this image on the screen for this reason. This is an this is an illustration of the spiritual battle that we have. When Christ comes in, there's lots of land he's going to have to conquer. It's not all done. It's just beginning. And for some of us, maybe this is going to help you. You're a Christian now, but you're still struggling with X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, whatever. Yes, you are. Because there's all of this land that is dominated by self that Christ Jesus is going to, listen, progressively change in you. Amen. I, I hope that helps because we're all in this together. We're all in this together and we need to have grace and we need to have the strength of Jesus Christ, which God has provided for us. Okay. Going on verse 11. And the time that David was King in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Verse 12, Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the servant and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul and 12 for the servants or 12 of the servants of David. Okay. What's going on here? Weird part of the story. So these guys from opposite sides, Abner and Joab. Joab is with David. Abner's with Saul. And they come with 12 guys. They come with their servants. They come with their military command, uh, their militaries. And they sit on each side of a pool. And then Abner comes up with this idea. Uh, let's have 12 of my guys fight 12 of your guys. Let's see. Almost like they're kind of like doing representative warfare here. And the text mentions the pool of Gibeon. I don't know if you see that there. But the pool of, the pool of Gibeon is mentioned. I want to put this on the screen. Again, I'm sorry if you're not watching at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, but you should be. The pool of Gibeon uh, is this 45 foot wide pool in Israel, still there today, that goes about 75 feet down with a spiral staircase that leads all the way to the bottom and has been there since the time of David. You can go visit it to this day. And it was a man-made structure. They dug down to get well water, uh, you know, the water table and, uh, you know, ancient well, if you will. And uh, obviously the men are coming there for water and drink, but they come and they decide to do battle. And I just put this on the screen because this is a picture. This is a picture for us of the spiritual battle within. There, there's, there's a battle that's deeper than we realize. And as Christ wants to do work in us, he's going to progressively dig deeper into the recesses of our being. This pool, which I put on the screen, is a picture of your spiritual life. And, and this deep, and there's a, there's a deep dive that Christ wants to complete in you to make you more like him. What I'm trying to say is Christianity is not surface adherence to a few do's and don'ts. Mm -mm. Christian sanctification and Christianity 
is letting the Holy Spirit do that deep dive work inside of you where Christ excavates the, the underlying motivations of why you do what you do. Um, so there's the thing that you do, but then way down deep, you know, 75 feet deep in your heart, there's, there's the real issue at root. Christ wants to address that. He wants to battle that because that's the sin nature in, inside of us. As Paul says in Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there's some desires that are opposing what the spirit wants in your life and the desires are keeping you, they are stopping you from doing what you want to do. Christ wants to address that. He wants to address the desires of the flesh, not just the fruits of the flesh or the works of the flesh, as Paul would talk about in Galatians 5. He wants to talk about the want. What you want has got to change before what you do changes. Does that make sense? What you want has to change before what you do changes. Okay, let's continue in the text. Verse 16. So they have this 12 on 12 battle, battle royale, if you will. Verse 16 says, and each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helka Hazurim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner, the men and the men of Israel, were beaten before the servants of David. Okay, so here's first off the bad news. The bad news is everybody dies in this battle royale. That's the bad news. Everybody dies. All 12 guys basically take their knife, grab the other guy's head, and stab each other at the same time. They basically kill each other. 24 guys dead. But then the battle rages, and the battle is fierce, and it's gruesome. And it's a struggle. But notice the hope of the text. Uh, Abner and the men of Israel were defeated or beaten before the servants of David. Now, this is good news, but eventually, but, but, but right after this text, right after this moment, there's bad news. Let's take a look at it. Verse 18. And the three sons of Zariah, or Zeruiah, were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And the guy we want to point at, uh, look at, focus in on here is Asahel. Because look what happens with Asahel. Now, Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. In other words, this is another way of saying he was talented and he was a uh, cunning warrior. Uh, athletic, actually. What's that saying is he's very athletic. Verse 19. And Asahel pursued Abner. This is the commander of Saul's army. And as he went, he turned neither to the right to the left from following Abner. So he's focused. He's, he's going after Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. Okay, what the heck is this? <laughs> I can just hear you saying, what does this have to do with the spiritual battle? I'm going to tell you, because this is another picture for us. Asahel is a picture, and by the way, he's the youngest of the three sons of Zariah, because he's listed last in the list. And he's a picture of that uh, newborn Christian mentality of, I want to win the battle Tomorrow. I want to win the war tomorrow. Never mind the battle. I want to win the war tomorrow. So he sets out and he's devoted. Neither right, neither left. He's just aiming at Abner. And he's forgetting that Abner is a very skilled and very experienced warrior. He's outmatched, but he doesn't know it. He's outmatched, but he doesn't know it. And the picture here that Asahel provides for us is the picture of the Christian who gets saved. And I say this delicately, but I say this kind of tongue in cheek as well. He's almost too Christian. He's almost too radical. And I've met many of these people. Maybe you're one of them. I don't know. 
They become Christian and they, they are ready to take on the world tomorrow. They are ready to win all their spiritual battles by lunch. And so they think, and they just think, if I just focus, if I just keep running straight, I will, I'll be the best Christian the world has ever seen. This is Asahel. But what you forget is that you're young in the faith and you don't know much and you're not going to win the war tomorrow. Got it? You're not going to win every spiritual battle. And it's not a matter of willpower. That's another thing that Asahel is going to show us. Um, there, there, there's this youthful, youthful exuberance of Christian development that I have seen happen in so many people's lives that leads to one of two results. And, and, and the first one is defeat and discouragement because you can't win it all tomorrow. I don't care how spiritual you think or how much you fast, how much you pray, how much you read. I don't care how much church you love. I don't care. You're not going to win all the spiritual battles in your life tomorrow. You're just not. You're a young Christian. It, you have entered into a lifelong struggle against sin, and it's not easy. And take it from somebody who's 44 years old, 23 years in public ministry, uh, a Christian for f- 39 of those years, right? The struggle is always going to be there, and you're not going to be perfect. You're always going to disappoint. In fact, the more you grow in Christ, the more you're going to see how much more imperfect you are than you realize, This is why when Paul describes his Christian life, the older he gets, the more of a sinner he sees himself to be. Not the less of a sinner, the more of a sinner, because he's he's digging down deeper into that well. He's digging down deeper into that pool and realizing that the motivations for why he does what he does are far deeper and far more vile than he originally realized. So the first result of that, that youthful exuberance to win the spiritual war tomorrow can lead to defeat and discouragement because you won't. But secondly, and even more destructively, it could lead to temporary success, which leads to arrogance and pride and eventually intolerability as a Christian. Have you met someone like this where they think they've actually nailed it? They think they've got it down? And they're like three years saved and they think they're the cat's meow and they're ready to, you know, evangelize the world. And tomorrow they're going to be the greatest evangelist the world's ever seen. <laughs> That's worse than the defeat and discouragement because this pride gets in. Oh, and I've seen this. Oh, I've seen this with Christians so many times that they have a few Christian successes and then that pride creeps in. And, and before you know it, they've just exchanged some vile sin for a very... Christian acceptable sin, the sin of Christian pride, the the sin of sanctimonious sanctification, wherein I believe I've made it and I've arrived. And and these Christians don't last either. They self-destruct, as we all will if we trust in us. (laughs) We're all going to something if we trust in us. It's just a fact. Anyway, we got to get back into the text, or I'm never going to complete this episode. Verse 22. Okay, here's what it says. And Abner again said to Esau, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then can I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Like, Abner's like, this is, (laughs) you're outmatched here, Asahel. You're outmatched. Relax. Don't fight me. But he refused. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of a spear, so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell and died there where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. In other words, this guy's defeated. And it's just crushing. It's a crushing blow to the army of David. This is what happens when we think we can beat the sin nature with 
willpower, with focus, with determination. Be mindful of the people who try to spell out for you the spiritual disciplines or the Christian disciplines that will fix all your problems. No. Be mindful of the people who tell you you can pray it away. Tomorrow you can pray it all away. In fact, the gays have a point here because we've been telling the gays to pray the gay away and it doesn't work. And I agree, it doesn't work. If that's your struggle and homosexuality, which is counter unbiblical, which is not biblical Christ-like behavior, okay, I'm always going to say that. I don't care if it offends somebody, but hopefully I can help someone here. When that's your struggle, I am not going to sit here and say, you can pray it away. You can fast it away. That might be your struggle. That might be the temptation that you're going to have to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to give you grace to fight and overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit, not your fortitude and focus. Amen? Okay, let's continue. Verse 24. Uh, but Joab and Abishai turned, uh, pursued uh, Abner, and as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amma, which lies before Gaia, on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of the hill. So there's this great intensity of, the, of, a, of an oncoming battle that is about to take place. You can see it. The battle lines are getting drawn. Um, and it's going to be ugly. Okay, now we got to skip ahead for a second. I want to show you something. Um, here, 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 here's how it goes down in the rest of the text. Then Abner called to Joab, verse 26, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? In other words, let's not do this, Joab. This is going to, this is going to end poorly. If you guys come at us this quickly, it's going to end poorly. How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until morning. So, so Abner actually is the voice of reason in this text. And Joab listens and says, you're right. Let's stop here. Let's not fight this thing out to the death because it could end poorly for all of us. Here's the point. Here's what this story is telling us. Are you ready for it? Here's the truth. God prefers deliberate progress over instant results in your spiritual life. God prefers uh, deliberate progress over instant results in your life. He is the God of progress. Okay? This is good news, by the way. So so that you don't burden yourself with this concept that, that you have to be perfect tomorrow. The scriptures testify to the fact that God does not create everything in a second, right? He could have done that. He's God. He did not have to take a week to develop all that we see, the animals and the stars and the moon and the sun. But he does. He takes his time. He progressively creates, right? Genesis chapter one. And then he progressively saves, doesn't he? Like the narrative of salvation begins with Abram. And Abram has one child of promise, and then he has one child, and then he has 12, like Jacob has 12. And the, the, the narrative of our salvation is progressive. It takes a long time, thou, hundreds of years, century, 15 centuries before we get to Christ. And even the evangelism of the world has been progressive. There's 1.8 Christian billion, one, one, sorry, 1. 1.8 billion Christians on the world, but it's been progressive. 
God prefers deliberate progress over instant results in your life. Have you ever heard of those lottery winners that win the lottery and then their life is in shambles? I think about a guy named William Post. He was, grew up in an orphanage, uh, struck it rich um, while he was surviving on disability payments. Uh, he had less than $3 in the bank when he won uh, $16.2 million. It ended up that he became bankrupt uh, and uh, spent time in a jail for firing a gun at a bill collector. Went through $16.2 million like that. He, he testified later that he was happier when he was poor than he was rich. Why? Because instant success does not work. Instant success does not work. The scripture testifies to this. Proverbs 20, 21. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Okay. The, let, me, let me show you another passage. This is going to knock you out. This is so cool. I love this passage from Exodus chapter 23. When God is describing for Moses how the land of Israel is going to be conquered. In Exodus chapter 23, 28. God says to Moses, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, I'm sorry, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Little by little. Uh, It's not going to happen, God says. In one year, I'm, I'm taking my time with this. This is a picture of the Christian's sanctification. God's taking his time with you. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, present perfect, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Lord is the Lord of one degree. Some of you got to stop trying to be 10 degree Christians and just be one degree Christians. Okay, is the Lord changing me? Am I, am I slowly and by degree being transformed evermore into the image of Jesus Christ? It does not have to happen all at once. You cannot win the war tomorrow. Cannot do it. Paul says in Galatians 5, 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with this. I love that. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. The implication is the Spirit is stepping through this with us. Step by step, right? Um, The old adage is yard by yard, life is hard, but inch by inch, life is a cinch. The same is true in the Christian life. And I'm not here to give you the secrets to being sanctified by Saturday. I'm here to talk about the rhythms of grace that God has outlined for us in Scripture. The rhythms of grace. What does God give you? Well, he gives you a weekly Sabbath worship. One day we come together and worship with God. Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some of you say here, you've commented, I saw a comment a couple weeks ago. I don't believe in going to church. I don't think that's where you find the Lord. What? Where are you reading that? Where are you reading? Find me the scripture where it doesn't, where, where Christian community is not necessary. No, friend, repent. Get, submit. I think that a lot of these Christians that don't want to go to church because they don't think that the scripture sticks about you just you're just an obnoxious self-sanctifier. You need to repent 
and get yourself into a church with elders. You don't have spiritual growth, really, until you've got some elders who can oversee your spiritual life and develop you in Christ. Who's holding you accountable? Who's guiding you? Who's counseling you? Who's, be, who's being a biblical voice of correction and rebuke to you? As 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talk about. Weekly Sabbath worship. Number two, daily spiritual nourishment. Feed yourself the Word of God daily. Get yourself that study Bible. If you haven't let me know in the comments below what's your study Bible, write it down. Okay? And then number three, regular community engagement. That you have small group. That you have people that you can pray with, cry with, confess your sins to, rejoice with, laugh with, celebrate with. And then lastly, and this is a key one. I like this one. Annual detachment. We do an annual fast at our church. And I encourage you to do this even if you don't have a church that does this. Annually detach and have a special spiritual week or weekend for yourself to just be with God. I think that is very healthy. I think, now again, these are not the success secrets to self-sanctification. These are the rhythms of grace, the practices Christians should be in the process of cultivating on a regular basis so that they develop over time, step by step, in step with the Holy Spirit, progressively, because God prefers, God prefers what? God prefers deliberate progress over instant results. Amen. We got to continue and com complete this talk. Verse 28. So Joab blew the trumpet and the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all uh, that night through the Arab, but they crossed the Jordan marching the whole morning. They came to Menahim. So the battle ends. The battle stops raging. And verse 30, Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants, 19 men besides Asahel. So David's men uh, lose 19 men. Uh, verse 31, but the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. Verse 32, and they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And uh, Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. So what you see here is you see a small bit of progress in the kingdom of David taking authority over the kingdom of Saul. And for us is a picture of the kingdom of Jesus taking authority over the kingdom of self in us. It's a small piece. 360 men is not that much. But David only loses 19. This picture of progress. Yes, it's going to hurt. You're going to lose some battles. But you're going to win much more in Christ Jesus. First verse of chapter 3 in 2 Samuel. There was a long war between the house of David. I'm sorry. The house of Saul and the house of David. There was a long war. There was a... There was a long war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. What is that saying? It is saying there was progress in the authority of David over um, the kingdom of Saul. So, so this is, I hope, helpful for you in that you don't have to feel overwhelmed that you've got so far to go. Christ is committed to you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And you're not going to win the war tomorrow. The key is to let the Holy Spirit lead you forward step by step. So in the battle of sin, it's not a lighthearted battle, number one. Number two, it's not one overnight. And number three, it's not something God is disappointed with in you. It's just like God's not up there saying, oh, you know, he's not up there saying, oh, this person will never get it right. I'm give up. No, no, no. 
He's fully aware of who you are. The scripture says he knows that we are dust. He has patience with us. Thank God for his patience. Amen. The key is that when you fall, get back up. A righteous man falls seven times and gets back up seven times. Uh, God does not abandon us. Jesus said, I'm with you to the very end of the age. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Uh, Faithful is he who has called you and he will do this. He will sanctify you completely, the scripture says. Uh, He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is the one who started a good work in you and brings it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the good news for you today, and I hope it's healing news for you today, is we're all going to struggle with sin, but we've got a Savior within who's going to win. Amen? I mean, this, this is the hope. As we look at a world that is filled with Christian evangelists, Christian leaders falling left, right, and center, we say, God, why? God, what? We, we, we got to stop blaming and pointing fingers at all the reasons why, including this idea that somehow wives are responsible for their, the sexual sin of their husbands. <laughs> we've got to stop doing this. We've got to stop blaming. And we've got to look to the solution. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's why I do this show. The deep end, so that we can go through the word of God. We can feed on the word of God and change and be transformed and be healed over time in our lives. Amen. Amen. I, I, I have to just remind you again, guys, the deep end is on a temporary break until March 16th. I am so, so, so sorry. Please make sure, though, that you like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell at youtube.com slash TV. Again, I cannot emphasize enough the notification bell, which helps you know when we are live again. I don't want you to miss when we're back up. I'm sorry. I got so many things going on, so many, so many things on the stove in my life. So I'm going to take a break. Pray for me. Uh, I, I, I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your support. Uh, also, if you would do me a favor, uh, we always say this. If there's any questions, I want to answer your questions. Uh, you can ask them anonymously at 508-316-9333 or ask at thedeepend.tv. You can also support The Deep End by going to thedeepend.tv slash give, thedeepend.tv slash give. You can get some swag down there as well at thedeepend.tv. You can give. You can support uh, the cash tag, thedeependtv. Make sure that you're helping us out here on the deep end. I'm so glad you were here. I had a good time. I hope you had a good time. I will see you March 16th. Where? On the deep end. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.